Tonight we will be reading Matthew 10, 26 through 39. If you could all open your Bibles if you want. If not, no problem. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even if the hairs of your head are all counted, and even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I also will deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Sora. Appreciate it. Hey, guys, my name is Barrett. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Covenant. And um, I don't know how you guys felt about the text as Laura read it earlier, but uh, I feel like if Will and I were doing an Our Daily Rhythm over this text, uh, we would probably get to the end, you know, Will would, would say something like, man, that's a scorcher. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's an interesting text because it, it talks about Jesus coming not to bring peace, but a sword and uh, setting a, a father against his son and, and these type things. And so, it, it's it's a little bit of a a difficult passage, um, but what it's primarily talking about it's pri- primarily talking about evangelism. Okay, it's primarily talking about evangelism. Primarily talking about sharing your faith with someone else, and so uh, we're going to focus on this passage tonight. I'm going to try to walk us through it, and hopefully we can uh, understand a lot better. I, I think it's kind of an appropriate text. Um, Number one, here at Christ Covenant, we have, you guys have probably seen the covenant wheel, and one of the nine behaviors in the covenant wheel is personal evangelism. And so at Christ Covenant, this is one of the things that we expect all of our members to have a, a, a rhythm in their life of personal evangelism, of, of sharing your faith with others. And so each of us should be engaged in, in, in living out uh, a public faith, as as the title says there, um, we we send out teams all across the world. I, I'm I'm mindful that I think today Thomas and the team in the Middle East are finishing up, uh, but they have been in the Middle East and they have been out there sharing their faith. They've been out there telling people about Jesus, and actually in a in a difficult place. Uh, I think uh, primarily speaking with Muslims about about Jesus and and hoping to see some that come to faith. 
We've recently sent a team out uh, to Paris. I was just talking, talking to Jack back here and, and some others from the church who went to, who went to Paris, and, and they're doing a similar thing. And we had a team that just went out to Japan, and they were doing a similar thing as well. And on the streets of, of Tokyo, uh, telling people about Jesus. And this is, you know, this is Jesus's way of spreading the news of the kingdom around the world is to, is to use those of us whom he has called, those of us who have been saved by Jesus, who've been rescued by Jesus to send us out and to speak to others about who Jesus is and about what Jesus has done in our life. And so this is an important text for all of us to, uh, to come to grips with. And I, I realize that in a room of this size, there are people in, in various stages of your faith walk. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm hoping that this, that walking through this text will be an encouragement to each and every one of us. So I, I think what this text is primarily getting at is living out a public faith, living out a public faith. And I think that's the main thing that we're to grasp from the text. And I would point us to verses 32 and 33. If you do have your Bibles, I, I am, I'm big on the text. And so we'll be returning there uh, a, a decent amount. And so I would encourage you to, to, be, to be looking at it. But verses 32 and 33, Jesus says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. So the idea is that we are meant to acknowledge Jesus before others that we come in contact with. Which is why I gave it the title, we are to live out a public faith. Okay, We are not meant to hide our faith or we're not meant to just pull our faith out at certain times, like when we come to church or when we're around certain friends that we know will affirm our faith, but we're, we're supposed to be living out a public faith in front of those who do not yet know Jesus. We're called to this public faith. And so, I, but I want to sit up front that when I say, when I say public faith, I, I am talking about, when I say evangelism, I am talking about a, a, a tactful kind, gracious way of talking with others about the gospel and your faith in Jesus, okay? This is not standing on a street corner, you know, yelling at people about Jesus. Uh, this is not you wearing your Jesus loves you t-shirt to work tomorrow and trying to be uh, public in your faith in those ways. But this is simply in, in a very tactful, gracious, and, and kind way. It's sharing the love of Jesus with, with others, and that's what is meant by this, this public faith or, or by evangelism. So one thing that I want us to do, I, I want you to think about someone in your life who does not know the Lord. Everybody, just take a second real quick and just kind of think. Someone that I come across with fairly regularly, maybe a, maybe a coworker, maybe a family member, maybe a friend or a roommate, uh, an old college friend or something. Uh, but think of that person. And I want you to ask yourself, how well have I done living out a public faith in front of this person? How well have I done? When I was writing this, I specifically thought of one of my neighbors, whom I'm quite confident does not know the Lord. And honestly, I mean, if I just want to be real with you guys, I don't think I've done a great job. And so as I walk through this text, I mean, this has been very challenging for me as well. 
that we all need to, uh, it, it's one of those areas in our life, it's kind of like when you talk about prayer, how's your prayer life? Ah, it could always be better. And I think evangelism is, is similar to that. So, so, uh, so I'm hoping tonight that this is a, a bit more of a, a rallying around each other to say, you know what, we struggle in this area. We need to get better. And we want to get better. And I think there are specific ways that, that the text will walk us through how we can uh, get better in, in this area. But one of the questions is, why? Why do we struggle to communicate with others about Jesus? I mean, Jesus saved us from our sin. He's given us eternal life. We have this great hope in Jesus. We have all these wonderful things that, that Scripture teaches us that has been given to us uh, because of Jesus. And yet we struggle to communicate about him to others. And so the question is, why? And I think our passage addresses this today, and, and I, hope it, I hope it proves to be an encouragement to us. Before we dive into the specific text, though, I, I do feel like I need to provide a little context around uh, where our passage is. Because when you just, when Laura read that earlier, um, it, it might be like, okay, I kind of hear who's speaking and it's Jesus speaking, but okay, what's, why is Jesus saying these words at this time? And so I want to provide a little context. So we're in chapter 10, right? At the end of chapter nine, particularly verse 35, you can see Jesus and he is living out a public faith, if you will. He's living out a public faith in front of others. And, and it says here that Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. So we see here that Jesus is carrying out his ministry and he's carrying out evangelism. He provides the, the example of evangelism for us. So, and I think, that's, I think that's a noteworthy point. He's not just sending out his disciples. He's actually doing what he will then ask his disciples to do. But he's providing that example of evangel, uh, evangelism for us and he's proclaiming, meaning he's using words. He's not just going around and healing diseases and healing affliction. He is doing that as well. But he's also using his words. And he's giving, giving us that example. And it says in uh, verses 37 and 38 of chapter 9, uh, and this is a very, very well-known verse, but he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers to the harvest. And so he, he's saying this ministry that I've been carrying out of evangelism and sharing, uh, sharing with others about the gospel of the kingdom, I'm going to send others out. God is going to send others out. So pray to God so that he will send others out to do the same thing. And in fact, in chapter 10, building more of the context. In chapter 10, in the first part, he calls his 12 disciples to him and their name there in the first four verses. And then from verses five uh, to the end of the chapter, basically Jesus is sitting down with his disciples and he's saying, these are some of the things that you're going to do as you go out. And these are some of the things that you're going to experience. And it's not all good. In verse 16, let's read one verse to just kind of build out the context here. Jesus tells them, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, a verse that we all know, but he's doing this in the context of sending out the 12 disciples. I'm going to send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. 
This is not necessarily to have a good time or to have an enjoyable trip, but sheep are naturally afraid of wolves, right? A pack of wolves will come and do what to sheep? They will kill sheep and eat them, okay? And Jesus is saying, that's how I'm sending you out. So I think the disciples can sympathize with with some things that maybe we experience when we think about sharing our faith with others. So Jesus is acknowledging that this is not an easy task. And this leads us to our passage tonight in verses 26 to 39. And the question that we were asking is, why do we sometimes struggle to communicate with others about Jesus? Why do we struggle to live out a public faith? And I've got three points that I think will we'll come up there. Uh, the first one is fearing others and then fearing uh, fear God or f- fearing God. And then um, your view of God matters. And we'll, we'll get there and you'll, you'll see where I'm going with that. But the, the, the first point is, is fearing others. So why do we struggle to communicate with others about Jesus? Why do we struggle to live out a public faith? Um, it, it's partly because we, we fear others. We fear other men and women, other people in our lives. And Jesus addresses this, and he says three times in the first part of this passage, in verse 26, he says, have no fear. In verse 28, he says, do not fear. In verse 31, he says, fear not. So one thing that we can take from this is that Jesus is acknowledging that when people are sent out, when the disciples are sent out, when you and I are sent out by Jesus, there is fear that occurs. And I think that's okay. There is fear. You will experience fear. The disciples experience fear. This is a, this is a normal reaction, right? So what is it that we fear when considering sharing our faith in others? What, what is it that we fear specifically? Jesus talks about it in verse 28. He says in verse 28, do not fear those who kill the body. So he's saying there are some wolves that will come and kill the sheep. Okay? I don't think this is our main fear today in 21st century America. I don't think we really struggle with this. I don't think you go to work and think if I talk about Jesus to my coworker, he's going to kill me or she's going to kill me. I don't think we think in those terms in 21st century America. However, there are many parts of the world where this is very much a reality. And I just want to take a second to acknowledge that some people in certain countries today would read this and would, uh, would sympathize with this verse uh, very literally. Uh, my family and I, we had the uh, opportunity to, to serve for a few years in Southeast Asia, in, uh, primarily in Indonesia. And w- when I was there, I, I worked with a, a church planner and, I mean, basically an evangelist. He's trying to ch- plant a church. The way you plant a church is you go out and you tell people about Jesus and they come to faith and you start discipling them and you gather together like two or three and then you start to add more, hopefully. And so, there was a church planner that I worked with and he shared the gospel with a Muslim man. And um, this man responded very favorably to the gospel. And uh, my, my friend came back and was just so excited that this man had responded favorably in the Muslim world. That is not always the response that you get. 
So the next day, he returned to this guy's house in this small village and was excited because he saw that others were at the house as well. So he was going to get to share with their, their family also. As he gets off of his motorcycle and he starts to walk up to the house, and it was a house on stilts, so you got to walk up the stairs to get to the front door. And, and so as he, as he starts to walk up, he sees that one of the men is standing there and holding a machete. And after some uh, exchange of words that were not so friendly, my buddy has to run back, jump on his motorcycle as fast as he can, and get out of there. And he feared that this wolf was going to come and actually kill him. And it was due to the fact that he was sharing Jesus with those people. Um, in a neighboring country of Malaysia, it's, it's right next to Indonesia, and actually they share somewhat of a common language. But in Malaysia, back in 2017, there was a, a pastor by the name of Raymond Ko. Oh, it, it was pulling up something about Indonesia, Malaysia. Um, there, there was a pastor in Malaysia called, uh, his name was Raymond Ko. And in, in 2017, the Royal Malaysia Police abducted him. And to this day, there is no news about his whereabouts. Okay, so... The most likely scenario is that Raymond Co. is now with the Lord, that he was killed. And actually his wife, I read an article today, I looked it up to make sure, but uh, she's still like seeking answers from the government and cannot find them. Um, but there's no news of him. And so in a very real way, Raymond Co. would have experienced the fear that, we're, that Jesus is talking about, the fear of killing the body. But in our land, in America, and particularly in Atlanta, I don't think this is our primary fear. I think we have other fears when it comes to thinking about sharing our faith or, or sharing about Jesus with others. I think, I think a, a couple of fears that I would point out is, number one is a, a social fear. I, I think this is a big one that we, that we all experience. I think we experience a social fear. I think we fear what others will think about us. And I, I don't have to tell you guys, but there's, there's, a, there's a stigma in, a, in our culture today about being a Christian. It's old school. It's, it's on the wrong side of history. It's not cool anymore. Uh, you might be worried about being labeled a, a fundamentalist or exclusive if you were to talk about Jesus. Uh, it's, you know, it, it may commit the unpardonable sin today, which is offending someone. You know, if I talk about Jesus, I might offend someone. And that's, and that's, and that's very real. And, and we experience that. And that actually prevents us from sharing our faith with others or, or talking about Jesus with other people. I, I think there's also the fear over our career being affected. You guys are young adults, and many of you are in your first job out of college or maybe your second job out of college. You've been working for a few years, and you're worried that, if you were to talk about Jesus, it might negatively affect your job. And, and you may even be fired if, I, if, I, if I'm too vocal about my beliefs or, or if I'm too upfront, if I have too public of a faith, it might affect my job. And uh, maybe I will not get a promotion if 
I'm too upfront about my faith if I'm, if I'm living out of public faith. And I, and I think these are, I think these are real fears that we experience. And I, I think these fears are understandable. So I'm not up here to condemn you. I'm, I'm up here to say like, I've experienced the same fears. And I think, I, I think many of us have. And I think these are understandable. If you look in, uh, in verses 34 to 36, these are these very difficult verses where Jesus acknowledges uh, basically that living out a public faith can in fact have very negative consequences on your relationships. This is where he says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. And I think essentially what Jesus is saying is that, is that um, sharing your faith, going out and evangelizing, telling others about Jesus, it can affect your relationships. And maybe some of you experienced this when you came to faith. There might have been a close family member that kind of wrote you off after that. There might have been a friend that kind of went silent, and now you guys are kind of distant. And these things happen. Relationships are affected. And Jesus is saying that, that division sometimes is inevitable. Now, I, I will say, and I feel like with a passage like this, I, 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 have to, I have to give a little bit more because I do think we need to be careful with passages like this, okay? I don't think Jesus is saying, I came seeking out division. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying that I came to divide people. I, I think this is where we need scripture to interpret scripture. Uh, great way. D don't come to a passage like this and start to build out a whole theology based on Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 to 36. You need scripture to interpret scripture. So I would point to a verse like John 3, 19, where it says the light, uh, yeah, we've got it up there, the light, who is Jesus, the light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. So because people are sinful, they naturally gravitate towards the darkness. They will not embrace the light. They want to live in darkness. They want to live in sin. And so when someone comes along or one of you comes along and tells them to turn away from that darkness, to turn away from that sin... Division can occur. Relationships can be broken. Our social fears can be realized. I don't have to tell you guys, but Jesus is not always popular. He wasn't popular in this day. He was to some, but not to many. I think Jesus' point is that when light combats darkness, division will occur. And that division can make, us, can make us fearful. And we can, we can be fearful of that, particularly when talking with others about Jesus. But I want us to look back at verse 28, and it'll lead us to our second point on, on fearing God. In verse 28, Jesus says, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. 
So rather than fearing others, Jesus is calling us in verse 28 to fear him, to fear God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So don't fear other people, fear God. And in fact, uh, fearing God is, is something that's talked about over and over and over in scripture, that we are to fear God. Uh, a very well-known verse in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 9, chapter 10, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So it's saying, if you want to gain wisdom, the thing that you start out doing is you fear God. You fear the Lord. But this word fear, understandably, can be a little misleading, Right? And so I, I, I turn to a little quote here by um, Tim Keller, a faithful brother to the end who just passed away a couple weeks ago and just upholds an amazing example of what evangelism and ministry um, his whole life over looks like. But he explains to us, Tim Keller says, fear in the Bible means to be overwhelmed to be controlled by something. To fear the Lord is to be overwhelmed with wonder before the greatness of God and his love. It means that because of his bright holiness and magnificent love, you find him fearfully beautiful. You understand how that word fear can be a little misleading? And then you read something like what Tim Keller wrote, and you're like, man, I want to fear God. I want to see God as fearfully Beautiful, but it, it, it can be a little misleading. So when we grow closer to God and we're daily growing in our respect and awe and admiration of who he is and what he has done for us, this healthy fear of God will overtake all those other fears. And we can replace a fear of others or, or a fear of man or a fear of whoever you might be afraid of, those social fears, fear of uh, your job being negatively affected or whatever, you can replace those with a fear of God. And you can learn to rely on God that he will take care, uh, he will take care of you. And so the, the key to overcoming any fear that you might have related to sharing your faith is not to stop caring what people think or to turn your heart so cold that any negative feedback will not affect you at all. That is not the way to overcome these fears. The way to overcome our fears is to be overwhelmed and controlled by God and who he is and what he has done for us. I would say particularly through the person of Jesus. So in a word, we are to fear God. Verses 29 to 31, it helps us build out why we are to fear God. And this leads us to our third point that your view of God matters in this, okay? When we're talking about fearing God, your view of God matters. And he gives, Jesus gives the example of these sparrows. And essentially what Jesus is saying is that God is sovereign over the details of your life. So I'm not... I'm not exactly sure what your view of God is. I think sometimes we assume we have like a correct view of God. And I don't think our view of God is always informed by scripture. That's, that's not a good thing. But there's lots of competing views about who God is. Many of them are not scriptural. Many of them don't come from the word. 
And so we have to go to the word in order to have a proper view of who God is. So that when we're fearing God, we're actually fearing the God of the Bible. And we're not fearing some other God that has been crafted in in someone else's mind. But Jesus gives this, um, he gives this example of the, the sparrows. And he says that two sparrows are sold for a penny. Okay, they didn't have pennies back then. They didn't have U.S. pennies. That's not what this is referring to. This, this was essentially uh, one-sixteenth of a day's wage is what a penny was the equivalent to. So if we got an eight-hour workday, you do the math. It's about 30 minutes of work. So you can do 30 minutes of work, and you can, you can buy not only one, but you can buy two sparrows is what Jesus is saying, okay? So essentially what he's saying is that Sparrows are not worth very much. They're not worth very much. But don't miss what he's saying. He's saying every time something happens to one of these seemingly worthless creatures, and one of them falls to the ground and dies, he says that the creator God sees it and knows that one of his creatures has fallen. And what Jesus is saying is that if God cares about and sees each one of these seemingly worthless creatures, each one of these sparrows that falls and dies, how much more does he care about you and me? How much more is he involved in the details of our life and and is sovereign over the details of our life? Verse 31, it says, Fear not, therefore you are of more value than many sparrows. And I think some of you need to latch on to that verse tonight. You are more valuable than many sparrows. This is in the eyes of God. It doesn't matter how others view you. He's saying that God views you and, and sees you as more valuable than many sparrows. So knowing that God is aware of the details of, of your life, of our lives, and that he cares about us, it should help us overcome any fear that we might have of living out a public faith. You know, I fear that Some of us in the church, some of us here, have kind of latched on to a type of theology called a a deistic theology or deism. And basically what deism teaches is that God created the world. He set it spinning. He kind of removed himself, you know, off in heaven, very distant. And he's not present. And therefore, generally speaking, He doesn't really care about us or see us. And I think a lot of us have a tendency to to view God in this way and to to carry this view about God. And I think we have to guard ourselves from this way of, of thinking, from having this kind of view about God. We need to base our view on God on passages like this that we're reading, that God is intimately aware of And he's sovereign over the details of our life. And we can trust that. And you can trust that God is. You can trust him with your friends. You can trust him with your work. You can trust him with your family. You can seek to share share about Jesus with others. You You can seek to speak the name of Jesus. You don't have to be afraid. Because God knows. He's present with us. 
I, I think I think C.S. Lewis um, had it right. I know he's like the most quoted author ever, but I th- and there's a reason for that. I mean, I, I think he had it right in the Chronicles of Narnia. I don't know if you guys have read the Chronicles of Narnia. I, I read all seven of them to my older kids, and I'm regretting that I haven't read it to my younger kids yet. But in the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan, who is the, the godlike figure, you know that in seven books, he only shows up like a handful of times. And, and I think C.S. Lewis was teaching us something about God that I think Scripture does, particularly the New Testament. He, he's, not always the, he's not this God that's like always in front of your face, and you're always seeing these amazing things that God is doing in and through you, and these, these huge mountaintop experiences. No, it's more the, the daily faithful living of the Christian life. But he's always there, and Scripture teaches that he cares about us, and he loves us, and he's intimately aware of the details of our lives. This should be our view of God. So perhaps you're expecting some kind of God that's never going to be. And I would say, stop. I would, I would, I would say, start reading more scripture. Start reading passages like this. That it, it, it may not be this day after day, amazing, extravagant, mountaintop experience with God where he's so very manifest in your presence, but he is always there. And that's what, that's what Jesus is teaching. He sees even a sparrow that falls. See how significant that is? Some distant forest that no one will ever see that sparrow. And God sees that sparrow. How much more valuable are we to God? And so you can trust him. You can stake your life on him. And when you start to, when you start to know him and start to uh, realize that he's intimately involved in the details of your life, you can fear God rather than fearing other people. You can live out a public faith. You can begin to tell others how they too can experience the grace of God through Jesus. And I, I can speak to that. I, I would not say that I'm the greatest evangelist, but I do know that when you, when you speak to someone about Jesus and you see, you see the Lord working in someone's life, I have experienced no greater joy in my Christian walk. So don't rob yourself. I'm telling myself, don't rob myself. <laughs> Talk to people about Jesus. This is a good thing. This is a, this is a right thing. This is what Jesus is sending his disciples out to do. And this is what this passage is about. And I'll just say in, in closing, look at, look at verses 38 and 39. Um, he says, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I actually uh, a few months ago preached an entire sermon on Matthew 16 where Jesus repeats these words. Um, and so we get, there's a lot to say here. But what, what I would say to you is, do, do you know how we can take up our cross and follow Jesus? Do you know how we can lose our life for Jesus' sake? 
It's because Jesus himself already took up his cross. It's because he suffered and died for us. He came and lost his life. And he fully surrendered to the will of God. And because of that, you and I now have the ability to fully surrender our lives to the will of God. We have the ability to lose our lives. It's so paradoxical. The world doesn't teach us this, right? Whoever would, whoever would uh, find his life will lose it. It makes no sense in the world's eyes. In fact, the world would tell you, whoever wants to find your life, go out and find it. Make something of yourself. And Jesus is saying that is exactly the wrong way. He says, if you try to find your life, if you try to make something of your life, you will lose it. But he offers out hope. And he says, if you will lose your life for my sake, you will find it. And so I think what he's extending to us tonight is to lose your life for the sake of the kingdom. Lose your life for the sake of Jesus. And when you do that, you'll find life. And you'll start to learn what it means to, to fear God. And you'll find that living out a public faith is, is not difficult. It, it just flows. And this is what he's calling us to so just ask you tonight, have you lost your life for the sake of Jesus? Do you feel like you've fully surrendered your life to Jesus? If you haven't, I'll be in the back when this is over. Come talk to me. Man, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to talk to you about how you can fully surrender your life to Jesus. And it's actually, it's actually quite easy. You just receive the free gift that he extends to you of his grace, and he made that possible because of what he's done for us through the cross, through his resurrection, through the defeating of death, the coming back to life, and now he can give us life so that we can live out a public faith. Let's pray. Father, I'm just grateful for your word each time we dig into it. There's just so much there for us. Or this is a challenging passage. Lord, probably if, if all or, or most of us are honest, we, we struggle in this area. There might be some here tonight who, who don't struggle at all because they've never actually lost their life for the sake of Jesus. But Lord, I, I'm just praying for each one of us that your spirit would meet us Meet each one of us in a specific way now, Lord. We're about to sing a couple of songs. This is a wonderful time to sit and reflect on the things that we've just heard from your word. It's a wonderful time to sit and reflect on what the Spirit might be saying to each one of us. So God, I pray that, pray that you would speak to us now. Lord, we are so grateful for Jesus. So grateful for the humility of his life. We're so grateful that he lost his life 
He came and gave his life so that we could have life, so that our sins could be covered, so that our dirty hearts could be washed clean. Thank you, God. Lord, I pray that you would just touch us now as we sing. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.